Hello and welcome to Rajya Sabha Television. You're watching The Big Picture with me, Frank Rausen Pereira. Prime Minister Narendra Modi on Tuesday described NRIs as India's brand ambassadors and said they were the symbols of the country's capabilities. The Prime Minister was inaugurating the 15th Pravasi Bharatiya Divas Convention in his parliamentary constituency of Varanasi. For the first time, the three-day-long convention is being organized from January 21st to 23rd instead of January 9th to allow participants to visit the Kumbh Mela in Prayagraj and attend the Republic Day Parade in the national capital. The theme of this year's convention is role of Indian diaspora in building new India. The Prime Minister of Mauritius, Pravind Jugnath, is the chief guest of the convention, while Himanshu Gulati, Member of Parliament of Norway, is the special guest. On this edition of The Big Picture, we will analyze the potential of NRIs and PIOs. Joining me on the program today are Ashok Sajanhar, former ambassador, K. Badrinath, editor-in-chief, Financial Chronicle, and Sriram Chaulia, Dean, Jindal School of International Affairs. Thank you to all my guests for joining me on this edition of The Big Picture. Ambassador, let, uh, let me begin the program with you. You know, what is the importance really of Pravasi Bharatiya Divas? You know, the Pravasi Bharati Divas, it was started in 2003 and basically at that time it was thought to pool into the expertise uh, that uh, the overseas Indians had been able to achieve. You know, they had been successful, eminently successful in a large number of countries. India today has about 31 million uh, uh, members of the diaspora. So how is it that greater synergies could be established? between India and uh, these overseas Indians so that it would be a mutually beneficial, a win-win partnership for both, uh, uh, both India as well as for them. And I think it has worked out extremely well. 2003, it started. Today, it's the 15th uh, uh, Pravasi Bharti Divas that we are uh, celebrating. And over this uh, period, there have been a large number of new initiatives that have been taken by the Indian government so that the uh, overseas Indians can uh, uh, attach themselves uh, more closely, can relate themselves more closely to India. And of course, India has also benefited hugely as a result of its enhanced engagement. I'm sure during the program we are going to be discussing yeah. as to what has been happening. But uh, what I can say in a nutshell is that, you know, these 31 million uh, overseas Indians, they are dispersed over a large number of countries. All those countries are very different. The opportunities and the challenges that these people have had to face have been very, very different. For instance, uh, what uh, the people in uh, the Middle East, in West Asia, in the Gulf region, 9 million of them, how they can contribute to India's uh, welfare and growth is very, very different from what the our diaspora in the United States or in UK or in Europe can do. Or and for that matter, even the Caribbean. Even the Caribbean for that matter, you know, whether Suriname and uh, some of the other uh, uh, countries also. So, and also their uh, uh, problems are very, very different. You know, those people who have gone from here to work in the white-collar jobs, blue-collar jobs in the Middle East, the problems that they confront and that they contend with are very different from the sort of issues or the facilities or the benefits or the advantages that people in the United States are looking for right. from India. So in that sense, it is, uh, you know, not a one size fits all in terms of policies that the Indian government has to start. It has to really look at uh, what are the problems uh, uh, of 
each of them and how can India sort of, you know, reach out to them and what is it that all of them can do for India so that it is uh, beneficial for them as also it is beneficial for, for India. us. Absolutely. Uh, Badrinath, let's uh, talk about the theme this year. Now, the theme this time around is uh, role of Indian diaspora in building new India. So what role has the Indian diaspora really played in shaping the India of today? See, uh, the Prime Minister Narendra Modi has a very ambitious agenda. He thinks that he will be re-elected in May and in the, during the second term, that is up to 22-24, uh, that uh, this, his dream has been perhaps, and he has made it several times public, that uh, the Indian diaspora across, in more than 100 countries, mind you, and there are elected representatives from across, from the counties to the states to the uh, governments. Then you have corporate leaders and top Fortune 500 corporate leaders, more than 12% are an Indian origin people. And it's not just the cream, from the working class to across. So uh, it's a wide variety of you know, people that we have across the world. I guess in the previous governments also must have made certain efforts to uh, you know, bring together this huge workforce or the huge uh, you know, uh, the diaspora which we have across the world to you know, uh, you know, channelize their energies, resources, uh, you know, the networks, the linkages, the, uh, the political uh, you know, capital that they bring across for perhaps betterment of uh, India, most, especially in the economic side and economic development side, mostly corporate sector, markets, as well as economy. My guess is that, uh, for example, today Prime Minister referred to about a huge potential for them to play a big role uh, in uh, the startup ecosystem. He talked about, uh, you know, um, uh, he said that why don't you, you know, just canvas. You don't need to do anything. Just convince five non-Indian community people in your country to visit India. This will be huge. And the tourism potential that we can tap only just because of this campaign will be big. So, uh, even these small ideas can add a lot to the ecosystem that we are working in. Right. So, if you are looking at a larger picture, perhaps uh, there will be big brand ambassadors, economies ambassadors, and now that we are heading for a fifth position globally mm -hmm. in the world economic ranking, perhaps they will push us further or they can play an active partnership role in, uh, you know, taking this cause of India to be the world power um, uh, in the next few years. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, taking a cue from what uh, Badinath just said, Shriram Chaulia, you know, uh, is that a great opportunity really as far as India is concerned, looking at how events around the world are shaping up. Look at Brexit, you look at the shutdown in the United States, you look at the protests in France, in Greece, all across uh, Europe, Germany too, going through a tough time. There's a massive slowdown in China as well. So massive opportunity for India as well. 
Yes, Frank, and, and, I... and we can use this Indian diaspora really to try and you know to try and fill up the vacuum in all these places. <clears throat> That's right. I think uh, our diaspora is feeling a lot of confidence about India, and Prime Minister Modi is projecting that. You know, and uh, he has really wooed them very hard uh, in the last five years, and uh, it is yielding benefits as well. I mean, just to put some you know figures out there. 70 billion or more remittances is what we are getting, US dollars uh, per annum as of last year. That's a sizable chunk of our GDP. And uh, secondly, you know, you look at specific sectors, you go down to real estate, for example, uh, more than 10 billion US dollars have come from uh, the NRIs and the uh, overseas citizens of India. So they are in many driving 10 to 15 percent of almost all the property boom that we are seeing in urban areas, especially in India, is driven by these um, uh, overseas citizens of India. So they are contributing. I think Prime Minister wants more, Badri is right, because he wants them to do FDI in manufacturing. Mm. And that has not materialized yet in us any sizable numbers. And then the other thing, the startups, you see, he spoke about how the NRI mentors in specific uh, technological or entrepreneurial fields can be made to advise uh, young Indians who have good ideas. So these are, you know, ways by which they can give back to India in a big way. I mean, the cultural bonds are there and, you know, the Kumbh Mela is really like a bonus for many of the visitors this year at the uh, for the uh, Pravasi Bharti Divas. But uh, what I think we are looking for is economic gains. There's also one more aspect, of Frank, which our audience should know, which is the political lobbying on behalf of Indian interests. This, I think, Prime Minister Modi has achieved uh, in the last five years by unifying a lot of our diaspora organizations. The BJP and uh, especially Prime Minister himself has been, you know, uh, goading them to set aside their narrow differences, come together as one unit. You know, like when you are uh, an Indian um, in the UAE, for example, or in Malaysia of Indian origin, it doesn't matter whether you're from Bihar or Kerala or from Manipur, right? You should all come together and show a joint face that we belong to India as a whole. So while there is diversity, we must also be able to uh, have a kind of a common strategy for, uh, you know, pooling the uh, talents and, and the identity into one national identity. That, I think, we have achieved. So you look at some of the landmark agreements uh, with the U.S. as well as with uh, many other parts of the world, the stronger our overseas Indian uh, uh, community is as a lobby on behalf of India and Indian national interests, the better off we are. So those kind of things we have achieved in the last five years. And even policy initiatives, Frank, just to rattle out a few, you know, we have made it a lot easier for the NRIs and the OCIs to invest in India. We've made it equivalent to domestic investment. We've created single windows. We have created, you know, uh, all kinds of um, uh, schemes by which we can attract uh, their resources back. And most importantly, what Prime Minister is conveying is our governance record has improved. The corruption levels have declined. Ease of doing business, if you are now up to 77 from what used to be 140 uh, uh, just a few years ago, it should give confidence, right? And that's what he's trying to send them. India has already changed. You are part of the change. Hmm. It will change even further, but we need your support. And I think that's a very big change in the mindset. In the past, our leaders, our politicians used to practically disown the diaspora saying you got nothing to do with us, you live in your countries, we don't want to be seen to be interfering in your internal affairs wherever you are domiciled. But now I think it's a new uh, definition. Sushma Swaraj, uh, um, Narendra Modi, all of them are saying 
we are actually Indians in the sense of a cultural sense. Maybe you have a different citizenship, doesn't matter. Now we have OCI status, even if you have citizenship of other countries. Right. And we need to really create a kind of a brand uh, of a civilizational India that is much bigger than the territorial India. Absolutely. And that we are achieving. Absolutely. You know, Ambassador, people of Indian origin have reached the highest possible level. You know, we've got heads of state, really, Leo Varadkar in, in Ireland. And then, uh, you know, Kamala Harris now has decided to run for... Uh, President of the United States first, she'll have to clear the democratic hurdle first. But then you got MPs in the UK and, and you know, all over the place, Indians are holding very high public offices. Now, how can we really uh, leverage that and should we leverage that is the question really. Yeah, absolutely, I think. And, uh, you know, let's uh, put it this way that we have been doing it. It's not, you know, as I said, it started in 2003. And if you look at, you know, the first uh, prime example was the India-US nuclear deal. And, you know, when that came, the role that the Indian diaspora in the United States played in getting it passed through the U.S. Congress. I think that was a huge achievement. And I think for the first time, uh, the Indian diaspora and the Indian government also realized what a storehouse of uh, uh, and an asset that we have, that India has, which it needs to leverage, which it needs to exploit to the fullest extent. And if you were to look at, uh, you know, when the Prime Minister went uh, to... Uh, New York in September 2014, his first yeah. visit there. And he spoke at the Madison Square Garden. You know what I mean? That was uh, iconic. That was historical because you had such a large number of uh, U.S. congressmen, U.S. senators, U.S. Uh, governors, basically because they value the Indian diaspora that is in their constituency. You know, if you have a look at the Indian diaspora in the United States, as I said, all of them are different. different and I'll yeah. sort of, you know, say a little bit about our diaspora also in the Middle East. In the Middle East, especially yeah, the UAE. Especially the UAE also, yeah, Saudi Arabia also, you have about 3 million of them there. So, you know, meaning large numbers which are present there. But coming to the United States, you know, uh, the number is just about 3 million. So, which is less than 1% of the total population of the United States. But if you look at the educational levels, the educational standards, they are the most highly educated out of all the immigrant communities. In terms of the prosperity levels, you know, they might be having per uh, year uh, earnings, household earnings of about $90,000. You know, just to add to what you're saying, every year we, we watch the spelling bee on television and yes. more often than not, it is an Indian who's winning that competition. Yes, absolutely. I think it is uh, not only... I don't think I can think of any year in recent past where there has been any other nationality except Indian who has been doing it. So I think at that level also at, uh, uh, you know, in their own professions, uh, our people have done extremely well across the political, uh, uh, you know, I will not like to say divide, but spectrum. You know, you see whether it is in the Democrats or amongst the Republicans, the Indian diaspora have has... Uh, uh, acquitted themselves very credibly and whether it was in the Barack Obama White House or it is in the Donald Trump White House, they are doing qu quite well. As you said, uh, Kamala Harris has thrown in a hat, Tulsi Gabbard has also thrown in a hat. There are a number of congressmen of Indian origin and uh, senators also now. So the point is that they have acquitted themselves very well. They also feel much more actively uh, and, uh, you know, synergetically attached to what is happening in India. So there is a positive synergy between the two. And that is what we can sort of, you know, capitalize upon. Right. What I'd like to say is that after Mr. Modi has come, wherever he has gone, 
you know many people used to say even in myanmar he was able to address a huge indian community there so wherever there is indian he's been able to energize them he's been able to activate them and i think that is the achievement you know the earlier uh, just uh, two small points i'd like to make here when he went to the united kingdom in 2015 you know even the local political leaders also uh, want to uh, to sort of you know reach out to the indian community david cameron the then uh, uk prime minister was on the dais with the prime minister uh, and uh, you know the way he extolled the contribution of the indian diaspora you saw when justin trudeau had come here for one week and you know how he was donning different attires and different uh, costumes basically again to reach out to the indian diaspora back home in the country yeah. the last point i want to make is that you know when we are talking about the remittances india does not have the largest in terms of numbers of people in diaspora second largest but highest in terms of remittances received 72 billion dollars till a few years ago this year that is 2018 figures are for which are yet to come out it's expected to be around 80 billion dollars now more than 50% actually 54% of that is coming from the 9 million people who are in the gulf, gulf who are yeah. in the middle east so they have gone in for uh, you know the uh, uh, not very uh, sophisticated jobs not very highly paid job but they are the ones who are sending all the money hmm. and that money has been used in india whether it is for uh, current account deficit financing or for investment it has come to the aid of the indian government and has been used right. for taking india forward right you know okay about i was talking about how there is a major slowdown really as far as china is concerned whereas india's economy is on an upward trajectory and it has been so for some time now how can the indian diaspora further enhance that and contribute to india's growth story see uh, the point here is uh, that uh, as uh, we were discussing little earlier the education level is so high especially our technology professionals who have contributed in a big way globally secondly our strength has been hard work and learning so this across and there is a report of the kpmg or consultant any consultancy organization which projects that india is going to be the biggest supplier of human resource qualified and technology wise as well as otherwise management wise is going to be the biggest powerhouse if a airline merger has to happen in us the deal was clinched in a village in haryana because the ceos of both the companies uh, were of indian origin and uh, when uh, i was one of the days i was interviewing bill gates he says look i have to close down microsoft uh, uh, for the pongal celebration otherwise uh, microsoft wouldn't exist point i'm trying to say that from the lowest levels of corporate sector to the highest levels it is the indians who rule the roost either in us or europe it's not just the few names that we talk about sundar pichai or someone else no 
there have been so many from the banking sector, the financial sector, the uh, services sector, the CEOs, most of them have some connection with India. This can be leveraged to develop linkages for uh, Indian companies to get into the newer markets, which has already been happening. Now perhaps a cohesive policy needs to be put together when you talk about new India, uh, about 2022 and all that. So my guess is that uh, identifying sectors where uh, India can uh, do very well with linkages from abroad. Second uh, is uh, that we can identify people who can actually, uh, whose influence can be leveraged uh, for uh, India's uh, better economic growth story. Third, also we can identify high value services that we go because we are getting into uh, things like you know cloud uh, computing artificial intelligence and all that we are saying that industrial revolution 4 or 5 so if we are talking all this this is where the value addition from india would be there in a big way and henceforth uh, we need to think about it many a time we can have a lot of restrictions protectionist regimes Right. World over. This can be overcome uh, with, uh, you know, uh, leveraging the linkages that we have across the world. Absolutely. Uh, Sriram Chalya, what are the expectations really as far as the diaspora is concerned from India? I think, uh, as I said, we are fulfilling a lot of them now with uh, much greater concern and attention than before, uh, Frank. Uh, as far as their expectations go, you know, many of these are consular in nature, like with relation to passports, uh, when they have children, for them to get OCI cards, uh, visas, e-visas for easy mobility and uh, to come to India and to go back. Those kind of nitty-gritty things. In some cases, uh, when you have like manual labor, like in the Gulf countries, uh, they expect support for, um, you know, for their labor rights. Often uh, they are exploited and... Uh, violated uh, in these uh, Gulf countries. So I think uh, the MEA, uh, by the way, one big reform we did, uh, Frank, under Narendra Modi was we subsumed the Overseas Indian Affairs Ministry into the MEA, into the Ministry of External Affairs. Earlier, there were two different things, you know, and the Ministry of Overseas Indian Affairs that had existed before uh, 2014 was being used, you know, primarily for, um, you know, kind of um, uh, patronage politics for uh, politicians from Kerala. You see, now we have changed all that. It's part of MEA, it's part of national foreign policy, you know, and that's a big message. So our embassies and high commissions overseas have become much more sensitive to the concerns and the needs of our diaspora. Right. Uh, that's one. Second, what we have, see, they are also looking for, uh, you know, Indian uh, governance, Indian, uh, you know, the cleanup of the governance system that, that we have seen the last five years to be uh, uh, promoted in a way that will give them greater uh, you know belief that they can put their money money here mm. like any other investors you know some of them still have qualms about coming to india so while we are attracting record fdi we will need to do more to ease the entry of uh, foreign funds into the country through the nri and oci channels right. and i think last thing we, what we also need to do uh, better is to create maybe uh, larger uh, bodies of uh, the OCIs. See, what has happened is they have been you know, divided, you know, and some of them uh, within the same country or sometimes, you know, in Europe, for example, there are smaller communities, uh, continental Europe, but each of them have their own associations mm. and they don't, they're not necessarily merging. So right. I think they, will, they, they find strength in numbers. Sure. to be able to lobby and to argue better for their interests. So these are the kind of reforms, if we are able to push from here in Delhi, uh, they will really appreciate. You know? All right. Closing comments now from all my guests. I'm going to ask you to be brief. I've got uh, because of paucity of time. Ambassador, uh, you know, going forward, 
What is it that we need to do? What, what areas do you believe need attention? Uh, you know, if we are looking at the contribution that the Indian diaspora can make in terms of uh, building and developing a new India, then what is it that India is looking for? I think India is looking for technology. India is looking for capital. And how to make it more welcoming as far as the Indian diaspora is also concerned. Because, you know, as we've been talking about our people, when they have gone out, they have excelled. They have excelled in every field. And uh, I think they are also emotionally, they are very much attached to India. They want to do things for India. Even people who have gone in the United States, etc., what they, uh, you know, my own experiences, what they say is that India has given us so much and we want to give back to India. So I think if we are able to put uh, our house in order, you know, in terms of governance, in terms of better infrastructure, in terms of better physical infrastructure and social infrastructure, both in terms of education, skilling, healthcare, ease of doing business, you know, from 142, we have come down to 77. I think there's a very rapid increase. We need to be proud of it, but still not to be complacent about it. Right. From 77, we need to come down to at least 37. And I think that will give a very strong message to the community sure. that India is serious about attracting them and about moving forward on this And path. India means business. Yes. Okay, Badrinath, what's the best way forward? Best way forward, uh, I, for some reason, I feel that, it, that the policy need not be very elitist in the sense that uh, the kind of workforce we send across or the kind of linkages we have is across the sector. So what I guess is many a time happens, Middle East, Far East, wherever workers are there, face a lot of issues. Second, in many of the countries across Africa, many of our farmers from areas like Punjab, Haryana, Chandigarh, Himachal go there to do the farming and agriculture sector. Yeah. So my guess is the policy should be you know, more broad based so that you know, we link up with every kind of Indian origin people across. Right. Right. So don't leave, any, be, don't uh, leave anyone behind. Inclusive diplomacy yeah. may perhaps be the way out. All right. Shriram Chalya, close the show for us with your concluding remarks. Frank, uh, for a long, long, long time, uh, independent India thought that these were unwanted and that they had betrayed Mother, Mother India and gone away. Mm. And we thought that mm -hmm. they were not giving back to us. But that umbilical cord has always existed culturally in the minds of uh, the 31.2 million diaspora. Now we are tapping into that and we are, you know, making it concrete in terms of through appropriate policies under Narendra Modi ji. And I think we have now reached a point where we can say they have become, the diaspora has become a force multiplier for our foreign policy. So if India is stronger in the world, if India wants to be a great power in the future, a leading power as PM Modi ji calls, then this is going to be a very, very essential element, uh, the diaspora and the cultural diplomacy that we are doing with them to take us forward and to put us in the league with China. For example, the Chinese diaspora and the Jewish diaspora, these are the two big ones who have been very successful in giving mm. back to China or to Israel. Mm. And if the Indian diaspora can match up to those high standards, it's job done for, uh, for this country. Absolutely. The diaspora is important for us and an umbilical cord is still connected and we need the diaspora as much as they need us is what the panelists are suggesting. With that, it's a wrap on this edition of The Big Picture. Thank you to all my guests for joining me on the program and putting things into perspective for us. That's it from me. See you again next time.